to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today I have Matt Four as our guest on the show. He's a part-time real estate investor based out of Nashville, Tennessee. And in his professional life, he spent over a decade in sales and sales leadership positions at one of the largest technology companies in the world. And he's invested in over 250 units throughout the Southeast and in various real estate notes. And so I actually had the pleasure of the honor actually of being on his podcast. And so after talking to him and hearing about his story, I thought it would be great to share it with everyone here because you know he has a relatable story where he works a W-2 job. He's looking for passive income to create for himself, and he's found it through real estate. And so, Matt, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here and happy Friday. Thank you. Happy Friday to you too. So, Matt, can you share with the listeners you know, your background and how you got started in real estate? Yeah, sure. So like you mentioned, I've spent over a decade in sales and sales leadership roles at one of the largest technology companies in the world. And how I got started in the real estate is I was actually part of a very large acquisition sales pursuit for a $10 million net new logo deal for us. And as a salesperson, my lights were flashing. I knew I was about to receive life-changing commission check. And I was looking for different ways to invest that money. I heard, heard everything from Dogecoin to real estate to annuities to life insurance and all that. And fortunately, I had a mentor at the time that was talking to me about putting it in real estate. He was like, hey, you're going to get some tax benefits, cash flow, appreciation. And then I received the call from my VP the week of Christmas that said I wasn't going to get that check. And I never tell anybody what the amount was, but I'll put it in context. I was supposed to receive two cents on the dollar. And I remember asking my VP at the time, like, hey, how did we get there? What, where did we, what was the formula here? And he said, Matt, haven't you made enough this year? And I want to be very clear. It's not the, the company I work for today. And I was super very grateful for the money that I was about to receive. But that's when I realized that, hey, if I want to go achieve the, the goals that I have in my life, if I want to give abundantly and spend my time dedicated to those who need or in need, then I'm going to have to find a different path to uh, my financial future. So that's how I got started in real estate and happy to go into any of the details from there. So when the owner had come and talked to you and, and gave you this groundbreaking news, did it immediately sink in for you or was it something that you had to go home and internalize it and think about like, what did he really say? Or at that moment, it was just like a big shocker. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a shock. But at the same time, I've been in the, the game long enough that if you work for larger companies, they have in your commission sales plans that 
at any point, they can change your quota, change your compensation package and all that kind of stuff. And so they've legally protected themselves against this. And I knew when I saw the amount of money that I was about to make that there was no way they were going to pay that. So I had asked several times, like, what's the process? How do I help you come to a good conclusion here? How do we negotiate a good commission check here? So I was kind of expecting it. I just didn't expect the lack of empathy around, haven't you made enough money this year? So I want to be clear, it's not the company I work for today. So I'm I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus, but it was the lack of empathy that made me realize that, okay, if you're working at a W-2, you only have a ceiling for the amount of money that you're ever going to make and you need to go build your own financial path. Wow. Haven't you made enough money this year? Hearing that coming from your employer, it definitely puts things into perspective on where their best interest is and where your best interest is. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And sales is already an up and down roller coaster, right? I mean, you're going to have really good months where you're going to make some good money and then you're going to have really difficult or challenging months where you need to figure out where your your next uh, commission check is coming from. So getting involved in real estate at the end of the day, I always tell people it's the best thing that had ever happened to me because I learned at that point to find a different passion that I had in my life. And I've really enjoyed this journey that I'm on learning everything I can about real estate, but it's also helped me financially kind of smooth out the ups and downs of those lumpy commission checks that you get. So what seems like a very, very painful experience at the time sometimes can be the best thing for you. And that's the way I try to approach it. Did you venture and did you research into other ways of creating passive income for yourselves? Or did you jump right into real estate and was like, this is it? Yeah, my dad was an entrepreneur growing up. So I still have that entrepreneur itch to me. But ultimately, what it came down to is I believe that you should show up intentionally where you are with the people that you're with. And real estate seemed to be the best way for me to do that and also succeed my W 2 job. Had I decided at that point that I wasn't going to continue down the W 2 path for a little bit, then maybe other options would have been interesting to me. But I knew that real estate gave me the balance of cash flow, which I wanted to accomplish to smooth out the ups and downs of the commission check, and the passivity of not really having to manage a business, manage inventory, manage AR and APs every month to month. So yes, to answer your question, I looked at a bunch of things, but real estate just made sense to me. So then you also mentioned you're looking for cash flow and the passivity of what real estate could do for you. So you didn't want to, you know, go to the single family route and rent it, manage it yourself, do the property management of it. You were looking for something that was actually completely passive. So I started actually with the single family route and scaled my portfolio to 10 units in and around the Nashville area before I started going down the syndication and bigger properties through multifamily. I mean, if anybody's out there and they're on the fence and they're thinking about what niche of real estate they want to get into, I can skip you three years ahead of into my journey and tell you that single family is a good place to start if you want to do one or two. But ultimately, I'll tell you two things. One, even if you have a property manager, your property manager is going to call you and your insurance agent is going to call you and you're going to have to know and file your taxes each year with the local county to pay your taxes. And two, that the incident that helped me get over the edge and go into more passive syndications and and raising funds for multifamily was I had a unit in a triplex that had a very minor flood damage in 2020. I mean, it was like five to $7,000 worth of damage, not life-changing. It didn't hurt too bad. But at the end of the day, I mean, that, that wiped out my cash flow for the entire year on that unit. And it was one instance. So I had a couple of things like that, that really started to resonate to me that, Hey, 
it's better to scale than to have just one single unit because cash flow is kind of inconsistent and you're still going to have to do a lot of the management if you have a single family. So did you end up keeping your single family portfolio or did you completely move into the multifamily space? Yeah. So I'm in the process right now of exiting single family. I'm kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I would love to hear anybody's input on this because Nashville just got named last week or this week by PwC and the Urban Institute as the number one real estate market for 2022. There's a lot of great jobs coming here and the growth in this town is just tremendous. So there's still a huge tailwind I'm getting from the appreciation aspect of owning properties in in Nashville. But ultimately, I am starting to exit the single family business and put it more into multifamily and into real estate notes. Got it. And so for you, so after you know you decided to invest in real estate, you're still working your W2 mm-hmm. job, but not the same company that we had talked about earlier. That's correct. That's correct. And so is the ultimate goal to create enough passive income for yourself where you're able to cover your expenses? Or are you looking to get into real estate full-time at the end? Yeah. So I'm very fortunate now to where my expenses are offset by my real estate income. So I've, I've achieved that first level of financial independence, which I mean, look, for your listeners out there, when 2020 happened in March, I remember going on walks because I'd saw my equity portfolio take a 40% dip. And at the end of the day, I don't want to say that I wasn't concerned, but I knew that I would have income coming in if I lost my job, to put food on the table, to put a roof over to my head. And the lack of stress I had financially changed my world. And when you have passive income streams coming in, you can show up more intentionally at your workspace and for the people that you love and care about and where you are, be present where you are. So to answer your question, I mean, I like what I'm doing. I like sales. I like technology. I like leading people. And I'm going to continue doing that for as long as it it scratches an itch. But at the end of the day, I will continue to grow my real estate portfolio because it's something I'm also passionate about. So I think there's no problem if you want to get into real estate full-time, building that bridge or be- taking the small on-ramp versus you know the TikTok influencers out there that say, burn everything to the ground, burn the ships to the ground. And and go full on in. I mean, that's great for some people. It's just not not where my heart is. And so can you help us to put into put a little bit of perspective from the time that you found real estate and you wanted you saw this as a really great vehicle to build your wealth and to create passive income to the time where you became financially independent? How long did that take for you? I think it was two and a half years. I mean, it wasn't a very long time. But I also started immediately. So I told you the story that happened over the Christmas week. I think I ended up buying my first property in April. And my friends asked me like, well, aren't you worried about the downside? What happens if 2008 happens again and all this? And it's like, man, I just lost way more money than that on a commission check that I had no power over. I would much rather know that I have control here and I can wait it out. And I can real estate will ultimately always go up and to the right as long as you give it enough time. I can't tell you how much time you have to give, but as long as you give it enough time. So it made it pretty easy for me. So two and a half years might seem quick to a lot of folks, but I also got started uh, very, very quickly after that instance and kept going hard because I knew what the other side could look like. For those W-2 workers out there, and they would like to find other alternative ways to invest as well and you know, are thinking about real estate, they might be thinking to themselves, you know, hey, I have a full-time job. I don't have enough time outside of my job to invest in learning about real estate, getting into this space. How did you do it by juggling you know, your W-2 and building up your portfolio? Yeah. So in the single family space, the first thing I did was connect with a good friend and a realtor in the area and told them what I was trying to do. So 
My first property I purchased is not the most efficient. I bought it at market value. It was a turnkey and I was only cash flowing like 400 bucks a month or something after expenses. Fortunately, I've seen a great tailwind on appreciation. So it's been a fantastic deal because of that, but it wasn't a home run. So I would encourage people to get involved with folks in the real estate industry, whether it's a realtor, whether it's you and raising funds for the deals that you do, or different people on podcasts and just start building that network. And my problem is now seven years into this, I have too many deals coming across my desk that I can't even sit there and evaluate all of them, but it's hitting a single every single day and doing something every single day that will march you towards a goal that'll ultimately get you to that position. So if you're out there today, I would just start with a five-minute task that you can commit to doing every single day. And if you do that over a long enough time period, you will be far above where you ever thought you could go. And is there a specific or is it different for everybody from their starting point on what first actions they should or they can be taking? Yeah, I, um, I'm kind of battling this question in my head right now. So it's a good question because... There are folks out there that might have high income earning jobs like a doctor or they're progressing their career quickly and they know that the next jump could be faster if they spent more time networking and growing their skill set. I would say for those individuals, you just want to park money into real estate knowing that it's going to appreciate and you're going to get some of the benefits of a cash flow and tax benefits over time. And then those are those folks out there that are just getting started in their career. They're not really sure if they like it. They're still trying to evaluate their skill sets and things like that. And that I might send people more towards like wholesaling, for instance, is a, is a fantastic way to grow a network, understand real estate and get huge, huge, huge upside benefits. And I might send them down that path. So I don't know the answer there. I would say evaluate where you are with your family, with your career and understand how much time you, you really are willing to dedicate to it. Not that you say you are, but that you really are willing to dedicate and then figure out a path from there. But once you figure out a path, stick with it for at least six months. Because I was having a conversation with my coach the other day, and he was talking about one of his clients that was thinking about different things. And every time they got started, they hopped to a different thing. It really takes six to eight months to get any kind of traction in anything you do in life. So spend those first six months trying one thing first before you start hopping to the next one. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. The shiny object syndrome is really a real thing, especially when you're in real estate. You're hearing all about these great returns and all these different asset classes. And you're like in you know the movie Up where the dog goes squirrel and he's like looking around and it's like, you want to chase this one here, but you know you haven't dedicated the time over here yet to like really master it and really understand it and really get your feet wet with this side of things, but you're trying to chase everything. So when you're trying to chase everything all at once, you're not going to catch anything. So by focusing 
focusing just, you know, for a little bit of time and then determining whether or not it's a good fit for you. And then moving on to the next thing, I think at least personally for me, it has worked out as well. Yeah. I could not have said it any better myself. And one of the things I would say, like, once you find your niche, then pick a market, because at the end of the day, even if you don't go participate in that market for six months, you will be the person that knows like top 1% of people that know that market the best. And that in itself is a valuable skill as you continue to network out and things like that. So I suffer with that a lot with short-term rentals right now or really scratching an itch right now that I really want to jump into, but I'm not fully vested yet into where I want to go with the podcast and multifamily yet. So let me continue down this journey before opening another journey or rabbit hole. So one of the things you mentioned earlier was now you're getting a lot of deal flow in your inbox that you're evaluating different deals. And, you know, hopefully our listeners eventually will get to that point, or maybe they are already in that situation where they have a ton of deals to take a look at. How do you vet them and, you know, decipher which one is right for you between all the deals that you're receiving? Yeah. So I'm developing this three-pronged approach to the deals that come into my inbox. The first thing I want to look at is the team. Do I know this team? Have they worked together? Who's the property manager? Do they have other units in the area? If they're doing a big rehab, have they? do they have a good construction firm? What's their track record? Have they worked with this team before? So the first thing I look at is the team. The second thing I'm looking at right now is the geography or the area or the market. I'm a big fan of the Southeast. It's where I've grown up. It's where I know. I think there's a lot of demographic trends that make the Southeast a fantastic place to go invest for the next decade to two decades to maybe even century. So if it's a good geographic area, usually you can hide some of the inefficiencies of a property or a specific deal. And then the last thing I look at is like, what's the business plan? And in the business plan, I use I take two approaches to it. First is the debt structure. So is it floating rate? Is it locked in? Is it agency debt? Is it bridge debt? Is there MES debt? How much? What's the LTV? All that sort of stuff. And the second thing of the business plan is like, what's the strategy? Is this a buy and hold? Is this a complete rehab? Is this a raise rents based off of tenants lease fall off, basically? So I look at that. So three ways I'm evaluating deals right now is who are the operators? Who are the team? What's their experience working together as a group? What's the geographic market? Are there good good trends there? And then the last thing is the business plan. I'm really looking at the debt and the overall strategy for the deal. And as you're building up your portfolio, can you share a little bit about how, I guess, assertive you were in looking for the deals to be investing in it prior to becoming financially independent as you were building up that side of things? Yeah. The first thing I did was just try to create the deal flow. So anybody out there that had a podcast, had a website, I heard on a podcast or something like that, I would immediately go LinkedIn, request them and be connected with them there. And then I would check out their lead magnet that they're trying to do or that they're producing like the due diligence checklist, five things to look at, 10 things, all that sort of stuff. And normally you get you get on their list. As they start coming, those deals start coming across my desk, I evaluated at the beginning, every one of them. Because what I wanted to do was develop a skill of underwriting more than I cared about the end result of investing in the deal and getting that cash flow. I knew if I had the skill set that it would go further than just blindly investing in a deal, knowing that I could get lucky, I could not get lucky. So as folks are looking to kind of generate that deal flow, go out and connect with as many folks as you can, whether that's signing up for their email list or personally connecting with them on LinkedIn or reaching out to them via email. And then the second thing is when they send you a deal, even if you have no intention investing in that deal, go build the skill set of underwriting the deal and understanding how they're positioning and how they're getting their returns and all of that. 
Got it. No, that's really great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's really helpful. And so, you know, as you were building up your knowledge base and you're learning how to underwrite, you're learning how to evaluate these deals, what was the best resource for you as a passive investor that you utilized to build up your knowledge base, you know, the terminology that's specific to real estate syndications? And what were some of the resources that you can share with us? Yeah, podcasts and YouTube. So I two things about me, I don't really watch TV. Although I hear Squid Games is pretty good, so I might have to give that a that give that a test on my list it, too. <laughs> it, it, I can't I can't get away from it right now. It's just it's everywhere. everywhere. Even in work, like people were making Squid Games jokes across email, and I'm like, I'm so lost. So I gotta maybe that'll make the list. So I don't really watch a lot of television. My form of entertainment is watching YouTube videos where people are breaking down processes and frameworks and things like that. And the second thing is I'm an Ironman athlete, which is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, 26.2 mile run, all in a single day, all single event, which means that I run and cycle for hours on end. So what I do is I just pop on a podcast at 2X while I go do all those activities. And even though at 2X, you're not hearing and learning a ton, you're starting to understand the terminology and you'll start hearing phrases like cost segregation come up a ton. So then I can go down into my YouTube trails or my book trails and and start figuring out what that really means and how I should incorporate it in the investments that I do. So talking about podcasts, you yourself also have a podcast. You're the host of Ice Cream with Investors. And I love that title because you know, it's very conversational. It's like, and then I think on our plot in our interview, you said it's because you wanted to be remembered when you go to conferences and everything like that. Like, Hey, that's the guy I want to have ice cream with. Yeah. So we call it ice cream with investors. Cause I just felt like it started in 2021. I started generating the idea in 2020 and 2020 was very pessimistic. No, I mean, the world is very pessimistic now. They're not, people aren't thinking about all the great advances that we've had in today's society there's still a lot of problems we need to go address and fix. And I'm not giving anybody a pass on that. But I just thought, hey, I want to set an optimistic tone. And who's mad when they're talking about, thinking about, or eating ice cream? So the show is Ice Cream with Investors. And yes, you're right. My number one goal with the show is that one day somewhere I will be at a conference and somebody will be like, you're Matt Four from Ice Cream with Investors. Can I buy you ice cream? And that is my plan to get free ice cream for the rest of my life. So I'd love, I don't know if your guests have asked you on your podcast or you talked about that as well, but what is your favorite ice cream? So it depends on the day and the season, but I'm going to give a big call out to my father here and say mint chocolate chip. He always told me when I was a kid to get mint chocolate chip because no one likes mint chocolate chip. And if you get mint chocolate chip, no one will ask you for a, uh, a taste of it. So you can have all the ice cream to yourself. I might have to fight you for that because I love mint chocolate chip too. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, then I would be happy to share my mint chocolate chip with you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so Matt, thank you so much for being on our show today and for, for sharing all of your insights. So I have a couple of questions that I wanted to ask you. That I typically ask the guests, how has real estate investing impacted your life? I didn't truly understand the power of showing up intentionally someplace knowing that your financial situation is taken care of until I started investing in real estate. And there were a bunch of people that said investing in real estate is risky, especially people that came through the 2008 recession and the housing crisis. But it's risky, I think, to tie your financial future to one source of income. And so what it's really helped me do, again, is just be more intentionally. I was able to speak out at work when I saw things that I thought weren't right. I was able to lead and take chances on sales campaigns and take some risk there because I knew that if they didn't work out, that's okay. I still have income coming in from 
my real estate investments. So I would just tell everyone out there, if you want to be more intentionally taking a burden of your financial stresses off of your mind, investing in real estate is a great way to get there. It's not going to get you rich overnight. It's a get rich slow scheme. But once you have it set up and your expenses are taken care of, you'd be surprised how much more intentionally you can show up in your life. Yeah, especially when you, that's one of the aspects that you don't have to worry about every time. And then that you have your money actually working for you instead of you having to put in the time. And like what you said earlier, it's out of your control. Somebody else controls it. Whereas this side here, you have the control of it. You can do what you want. You can control how, how much or how far you want to go with it. That's it. That's it. So what is one thing that you know about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I feel bad saying this because it's such a no-brainer for me now looking back on it, but it's a team sport, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with a group and go with a team. And I was doing a lot by myself. I was sourcing deals. I was hiring contractors. I was underwriting at the bank. I was doing all of this stuff by myself. And it's only really over the past 18 months where I started building a group and a tribe that I could be around and could talk about real estate and could hear about what they're doing. And could I implement that in my market and all this kind of stuff where I've seen my net worth and my, my income just grow tremendously. So the one thing I would tell everybody out there is put yourself out there, go find your tribe, go grow your network. And it might feel weird at first, but eventually you'll start having conversations and you'll find the people that you connect with. And the others, I mean, you just put them in a different pile, knowing that they're still out there and you can still pick up and learn from everyone out there. So just put yourself out there and go try to connect with folks. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because the team sport aspect of it, it's so true, especially in, in the multifamily syndication space. I think it doesn't really resonate or like it doesn't really click in the beginning because typically what we know about is single family. And when you are working single family, you're doing everything on your own. You're trying to figure it out you know, like finding your property managers, putting it on a contract, like you're the solopreneur trying to figure it all out on your own. And so when you're getting into this other space, it's a little bit different because you actually have to go out and build out a network to be able to, you know, build out your portfolio in multifamily. And it's just, it's just a little bit of a different way of thinking or a different like experience as you move towards like the multifamily side. A hundred percent. And if you think about it, like this move to hybrid work, you're in California, I'm in Tennessee, our ability to work and collaborate and find a team across the world now will separate you as someone that will rise to the top because we are now no longer bound by the place where we are to do the work that we want to do. And so eventually, while you're in California and I'm in Tennessee, we're building relationships and trying to grow our businesses and things like that, it's going to move global. And so I just wish I would have thought and known that before getting involved in this because I would have seen my growth accelerate for faster than I than I did at the beginning. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Consistency. So I, I have this whole tangent that I will spare you unless you want to dig into it that says consistency beats talent over the long run every single time. So that's where I'm really, really big. And maybe it's the Ironman athlete and the endurance athlete. And maybe that's just find something that you can commit to doing every single day, a small task, five minutes every single day. And if you do that for five years, you will be so further, so much further than if you just try to do a big task once every three months sort of thing. So find something that you can do, commit to it every single day and be consistent with it. And so Matt, what has been the biggest tool or resource that you've utilized in your resource or in your real estate? I think we mentioned podcasts, but was there anything else that you can share with us today? I'm going to have to continue with the podcast theme. 
But I will also say there's a tool out there called Personal Capital, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with. And when I first started down this journey, I set up a Personal Capital account. I logged in and connected all my accounts and I looked at it every single day. And even though things didn't change every single day, it put my goal in front of my mind every single day. So going back to consistency, that was the task that I did. I got to see where my money was going in, where it was going out, and where my net worth was every single day. And it just put my goals in front of me every single day of what I was really trying to do. So podcast has got to take number one, two, three, four, and five spots. (laughs) But if I have to give you a sixth one, it'd be personal capital. So Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really, really enjoyed our conversation and thank you so much for sharing, you know, your story and definitely, hopefully one day we can get ice cream together at one of the conferences or whatever. (laughs) I love it. And I'm gonna hold you to it. So Matt, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you, where's the best place that they can go? Absolutely. So I'm going to give you three places. One, we are in the middle of launching a website. So it'll be icecreamwithinvestors.com. Hopefully that'll be done by the end of November. Second is the podcast, Ice Cream with Investors on any of your applications that you like to listen to podcasts. And last is LinkedIn. So I'm Matt Four. You'll see a Matt Four that's in Nashville that works at a big technology company. I love talking about finance and I love helping people along their journey. So if you want to connect with me, that's a great place to reach out and connect. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Matt. Yep. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.